Good morning. Let's try this. I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right, good stuff. Well, my name is Eric. I get to be the pastor here. I just want to say welcome. We're so glad uh, that you are here today, whether it's your first time or you've been with us for two years. Uh, we're a pretty new church. Last week, we celebrated our second birthday as a church. So none of us have been here longer than two years. So we're all pretty new to this uh, church. So again, we just want to say welcome. We're in this series uh, going through the book of the Song of Solomon. Uh, about two years ago, my wife and I learned there was a big difference between the phrase, got the keys, and got the keys. <laughs> so we were at an event, and uh, I forget, one of us was driving, and you know, uh, I said to my wife, hey, got the keys? And uh, she thought I said that I had the keys. So she hit lock on the door and uh, didn't realize that the keys were inside the car. And so we went through a great event. We had little kids at that time, very little, uh, I think a one-year-old and a three-year-old. We got back to our car at the end of the event and realized the keys were inside the car. And that's when we learned punctuation matters, right? Uh, there's a big difference between got the keys and got the keys. Why is it sometimes communication can be so hard, especially in our relationships, right? Communication can just be really tough, whether we're talking about communication in our marriages or just communication in relationships. Do you ever feel like there are things that are eating away at your roots and you end up feeling just kind of disconnected and ungrounded and out of sorts? What do we do when we're feeling that just kind of we're disconnected, and we're just kind of, I've lost our roots. Well, the good news is that God knew that we would have issues in our relationships. And that's one of the reasons he gave us the gift of the Song of Solomon, which is this book in the Bible that we've been going through, and we're in week two of that. Uh, we talked last week that uh, the Song of Solomon is God's provision to sustain loving marriages and to renew loveless ones. That the Song of Solomon is God's provision to sustain loving marriages and to renew loveless ones. We talked last week a lot too. Uh, why was the book of the Song of Solomon written? We said, well, first of all, it's a song, which hopefully is pretty obvious, but it's a song written about human love, written to give us wisdom. It's a song about human love, written to give us wisdom. And today we're going to learn three things from the Song of Solomon. We're going to learn how to, we need to watch your words, to pursue intimacy, and to catch the foxes. And we're going to be diving into those three things this morning. Uh, as we get going, we just join me in a word of prayer? God, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for the book of the Song of Solomon and the truth there and how you want to give us wisdom, wisdom how to act rightly in our, in our personal lives and also in our relationships God, I pray that this morning uh, your words would flow through me, uh, God, that I would be clear, that all of us would walk away with a vision of you that is greater than we currently see now, uh, as well as a vision for our lives and our relationships that you want for us. In your name we pray, amen. Words have power, amen? Words have power. Words can build up, words can break down, words can hurt, words can heal, words can cure, words can kill. Jesus says this about our words in Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. 
That's kind of terrifying, is that we're going to give an account for every word that we speak. Well, last week we talked about how the Song of Solomon is a musical, and there's really three main characters. You, you have our, our female uh, lead. She has just over half the words, uh, half the lines in our musical. Then we have her uh, feature husband, the guy, and he's about a third of the lines. And then they're friends, which we said, it's kind of like her, her close gal pals or her bridesmaids. And last week we saw that the star of our musical, our female, she's very open about desire for her future husband. And they're, they're in this kind of courtship period and heading towards marriage. But now she's going to express some, some self-doubts about herself. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me uh, to the book of Song of Solomon. We're going to be in chapter 1, starting in verse 5. The words will also be here behind me. You can follow along on your phone, too, if you'd like to make notes. Uh, one of the uh, tips I gave last week, too, is that because Song of Solomon is a musical, one thing that I learned that helped me was I highlighted, actually, their lines in different colors. So sometimes maybe if you're in a musical, uh, you, you, you do that, you highlight your lines. And so we've done that even this morning, is that uh, when she's speaking, we've kind of highlighted that in pink. When he's speaking, we've highlighted that in blue. And then when the friends are speaking, we've highlighted that in a different color. So we're going to look at what she's saying to her future husband now. She expresses some doubts about herself. Uh, Song of Solomon 1, verse 5. She says, I'm very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Those O daughters of Jerusalem, that's her close friends, kind of her bridesmaids. Like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. She's expressing some self-doubts about her looks, about her desirability to her future husband, to her friends. Now, I know that none of the ladies in this room ever have any doubts about the way you look, right? But you might have some people, some friends who, you know, have some self-doubts. So that's why we're going to talk about this today. Uh, she's self-conscious because she's so dark-skinned, she's been sunburned, spending so much time working out in the fields. In this day, darker skin meant that you were working class, while having like lighter, pale skin meant that you probably went to like Edina High School, okay? That's kind of uh, <laughs> the way it was in their culture. And she's telling her friends, you know, just to make ends meet, I've had to work hard, I've had to work two jobs, long hours, I don't have the time to devote to looking good that I'd like to, to do that, you know? And maybe some of you ladies can identify with this. Maybe, uh, you know, you're working either full-time or part-time to bring some ex extra income into the family. Maybe you're homeschooling your kids and you're doing the grocery shopping and meal planning. You're working hard every day. Your schedule's maxed out. You don't have the time you wish you had to devote to, you know, this great beauty regiment to take care of yourself. And it's, it's poetry here. She's saying, my own vineyard I have not kept. And that phrase, my own vineyard, that's her talking about her body. We're going to see this again and again throughout Song of Solomon, and they talk about their vineyard. That's, that's her body. And she's saying she's had, she's had to neglect her vineyard, her body, because she's worked so hard working outside in her family vineyard. Think of her story kind of like Cinderella's story. Probably most of us have seen Cinderella, the musical or the play or something. This is a beautiful young girl who's possibly her stepbrothers, she says about her, her mother's sons. Maybe it's her stepbrothers or her half-brothers. And they forced her to work hard out in the vineyard. And that was hard work. Working in the vineyard meant you'd have to dig ditches, you'd have to clear away stones, plant vines, pick the grapes, and sometimes even drive away wild animals like foxes. And she's saying to her man, she's like, don't, don't look at me, don't stare at me. I've been, I've been burned. I feel a little vulnerable right now. 
what is she doing? She's revealing her insecurities to her future husband. And we're going to watch as this man, as he loves away her insecurities. I think it's such a beautiful uh, and moving part of this musical. First thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes today, uh, as Jeremy said, we have these note sheets. You can follow along. You can write that down. Uh, you want to watch your words. Watch your words. And we're going to see that that has both a negative and a positive connotation. Usually we talk about just watching your words from like, oh, watch what you say. But we're also going to see that we're going to watch his words as they transform his future wife and, and as she opens up. You know, in response to her self-doubts, her future husband is going to reassure her of her beauty and her desirability. We're going to watch as she's transformed by his words. Three times he's going to tell her that she's beautiful. Three times. In the Bible, if you ever see something repeated three times, that's important. See, three is the number of completeness or perfection. So he's saying, my beloved, my future wife, you are perfectly beautiful to me. Let's dive in deeper uh, as what he says to her. Verse 8. If you do not know, you don't realize this, if you don't know, oh, most beautiful among women. It's a good start, right? That's great. A good thing to say. Like, you're the most beautiful among women. If you do not know, oh, most beautiful among women, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. He's comparing her to a horse? What? Like, try that at home, guys, right? Um, like, it starts off really good. Like, you, oh, most beautiful among women, and then kind of takes a weird turn, right? Well, Stick with me here. This, again, this is poetry. We talked about this last week. Love, what, what is the poetry trying to do to us? What is it trying to move us? It's not just, we're not just stating it. It's, it, it's poetry. He's not saying that she looks like a horse, right? It isn't like, you have a very powerful nose. No, that's not <laughs> what he's saying. This is poetry. All right, think of the movie, like The Black Stallion, as the boy watches the untamed creature run along the, the shore in the moonlight. That horse is beautiful and wild and free. This young woman is a black beauty. She's dark and has this wild, natural quality about her, like a horse with long hair and a free spirit. And Egyptian horses at this time were known to be the best horses that you could get. And Egyptian royal horses were the best of the best of the best. Well, remember last week I talked about how she called him her king? And I was like, that's awesome. Well, here he's calling her royalty as well. She's his queen. And in this time, mares, or female horses, were never used to pull chariots. Stallions, or, or the male horses, they were the standard for, for uh, war chariots and royal vehicles. So what's our young man saying? He's saying, she's like a mare loose among the royal stallions. That would create some pretty intense excitement, right? He's saying, my love, you are this dark, wild beauty that drives all the boys crazy. Not bad, huh? You can try that at home, guys. That's pretty good. He goes on, he says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Again, he's not saying that her eyes literally look like doves, all right? He's saying, though, that like a dove, her eyes are filled with this innocence and intimacy. He's complimenting her character. Last week we talked about that, how character matters in the matter of love, that character matters. And we need to worry about both chemistry in our relationships, but also character, so he's complimenting her eyes and her character. Guys, here's a tip. Compliment your lady's eyes. You can't go wrong with that. Amen? That's a good place to start. So how does she respond to this? She's like, all right, you know, I've been, I've been sunburned. I'm so tan. Don't look at me. She's starting to open up. And she's like, all right, you're right. 
chapter 2, verse 1, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. She's like, okay, you're right. I'm not, I'm not ugly. I'm pretty. I'm a lily. But man, I'm a lily of the valley. I'm just one of many flowers. I'm, just, I'm a common lily, a common wildflower. You're right. I'm just one of many women out there. So how does he respond? Verse 2, not a lily of the valleys among all the other as a lily among brambles. So is my love among the young women. He's saying, all right, you want to call yourself a lily? All right. Well, you're like a lily among thorns. Line up all the other ladies. Yep, they look like briars. They look like brambles compared to you. You are far and away the most beautiful woman in the whole world to me. You alone are worth looking at. Can't you just see her like opening up like a flower to the warm rays of his affection? Words have power. Speak life and watch your words transform your love. Watching your words doesn't just mean don't say bad things. Watch your words have power. Be careful about what you say. Watch your words have an effect for good or bad on your spouse and on your friendships. So what's the result of his words? Number one, she feels special. You can write that down. She feels special. He adores her. Her words transform her. She feels cherished, treasured, value. Application for the husbands. Compliment your wife. Compliment her beauty. It's nice to compliment her cooking, her intelligence, her work ethic, or what a great job she does homeschooling your kids. But from time to time, she wouldn't mind being called beautiful. Compliment her eyes, but maybe don't call her a horse, okay? That's just maybe not good. But find a way to compliment her beauty and what you find attractive about her. For us married guys, when you think about back to being dating, do you remember how you watched her? If you're like me, I'm, I remember like when you were dating and you, you watched the way your wife, you know, what she, the way she walked or laughed or flipped her hair. You sang to yourself, you know, like, you know, every little thing she does is magic. Like, oh, you know, it's all rosy and it's all great. And now you're like, you know, uh, it's easy to compliment her back then because it was so fresh and exciting. And, and now you, maybe you just, like me, you walk around and you're like, you've lost that love and feeling, right? Well, maybe she lost that loving feeling because we stopped watching, we stopped complimenting her, and the lady said, amen. We need to remember, go back, we talked about this last week again, remember why you fell in love with her in the first place. Go back to watching her and when, when everything felt like magic. All right, now I've challenged like, the guys. It's time for some application for the women. Let's hear how our leading lady speaks to her man. She's going to respond to his compliments with her own compliments. See, mutual admiration in marriage is important. It needs to be a two-way road. We need to have mutual admiration. Husbands and wives are to compliment each other by complimenting each other. Husbands and wives are to compliment each other by complimenting each other. It shouldn't just be a one-way road. He tells her that she's beautiful, and she says the same in verse 16. She says, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. She calls him beautiful and delightful. Ladies, your man wants to be a delight to you. One of the best gifts you can give your husband is that when he comes home, when he walks through that front door, that you are delighted to see him. So what's the result of his words to her? She feels special. We're going to see she also feels secure. Chapter 2, verse 3. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. He calls her beautiful, she calls him beautiful. He calls her a lily, she calls him a 
tree, which is good, because I think most guys would rather be a tree than a flower. Right, guys? At least me too. Yeah, amen. Thank you. Her focus is on joy and perfection. She's saying she's in a safe place with the man that she trusts. I love how she even says, like, her, her worries and fears that she's been burned by the sun. Perhaps she's been burned by other guys, and so she's a little apprehensive about that. So what does she say about her man? She's saying, when I'm with you, I'm in your shade. I'm protected from being burned by the sun. You're different than those other guys who have burned me. He's my tree. I'm in his shade. She feels secure. She feels safe. It's a picture of protection and provision of security and shade. This is a return to the goodness of the Garden of Eden, the way that God created us to be male and female in the garden without any secrets between us, full and complete intimacy, total feeling of, of, of being special and safe and secure. Guys, God designed us to help our wives feel special and secure. All right, if you're taking notes, we're going to jump a space and go down. Can we do that? Is that all right? My engineers in the room are like, I don't know, this is really complicated. We can't leave a blank space, and all the artists in the room are like, yeah, this is great. We don't have to go in order. So we're going to skip a space, so here we go. Men, I believe with all my heart that this is our role in our wife's life is to help her feel secure. And you can do it by doing three things, men. You are her pastor, you are her provider, and you are the protector of your bride. We're going to go through those real quick. Number one, you are her pastor. Spiritually, you set the tone for the family. You lead her close to Christ. You lead the way in praying over meals. You bring your family to church. You set the tone. You lead spiritually. You lead her closer to God. You are the pastor of your family, guys. The, com- the Bible compares the role of pastor to shepherd. You shepherd your family. And maybe your flock is big and you've got four or five kids and they're wandering off. Your job as shepherd is to lead them, to guide them, to pastor them, to say, I'm going to lead the way. I'm going to set the tone spiritually for my family. Number two, you provide. You are the provider. Now, this doesn't mean that she doesn't make money. She might make even more money than you. And that's okay. But you set the tone. You say, you know what? We're going to be a tithing family. We believe that what God brings in, we bless the church's back, God's church back with the first 10%. We're going to be generous. We're going to live beneath our means. You set the tone. You manage the family in that way. Listen, you want a freaked out woman? Let her worry about finances. You lead the way in living below your means, and she will feel secure. And if we can take that burden off her, she will love you in ways that just blow your imagination. Seriously, this is something I just learned. So for younger guys, here, here's the tip, right? I just learned this, that women think budgeting is sexy. Can you believe that? It's true. So there you go. Like set a budget, live beneath your means. If you can take that burden off your wife so that she feels secure in your financial situation, you set the tone in that way. Number three, you protect. You're her protector. Now listen, most husbands are bigger than your wife. God created you probably just a little bit stronger than her. Therefore, you lay down your life to protect her. Not just physically, because honestly, most guys, we could probably do that. We could lay down our life one time for someone. But you protect her heart daily. You say, I'm not going to let you get hurt around me. I will guard your heart. I will love you with the purity of mind. I will not do something to hurt your heart with me. You are safe. Guys, God calls us to pastor our families, to lead them to be the shepherd to provide, 
Again, she may make more money than you, but to lead that way in setting the standard of here's where we're going to live beneath our means. I'm going to set the tone so that we live uh, a generous lifestyle, that we are not spending more than we're bringing in. And then you protect her. You protect her heart. You physically protect her. You say, you know what? My actions are not going to cause pain to you. I am not going to let these things come in that are going to cause you hurt and pain. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Guys, we want our ladies to feel secure with us. All right, let's go back to that uh, the, the, the blank we skipped. All right, so we talked. She feels special, she feels secure, and she feels sexy. All right, I wasn't sure. Can I say sexy in church? Okay, good, good. Because I wasn't sure, because I was like, I, I don't know. I'm not going to ask for permission. I'm going to ask for forgiveness in case people get mad. Uh, but, you know, uh, her, his words help her feel beautiful and strong and desired. Because the Song of Solomon is poetry, uh, there's multiple ways we can interpret uh, what she is saying. Now, in that section we just read, we can kind of take it at face value and say, uh, she's saying that he's a tree, she feels secure and safe in his shade. Now, I think that is what is going on here. But there might be more going on here, and so I'm just going to kind of dip into that a little bit, and then you guys, if you want to take that home and study it in a deeper way, it'd be an awesome Bible study for you and your, your uh, spouse to go through, all right? So partially what I think is going on here is that the text switches She's speaking to her man, but then in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, she stops speaking to her future husband. She starts speaking about him. So I think what this might indicate is a scene change in the musical. Maybe she's alone. Maybe she's sleeping. Uh, we could see that verses 3 through 7 are a dream or perhaps, more precisely, a fantasy of hers. And I'll explain why I think that might be what's going on here. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3 through 7. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. All right, we talked how, you know, guys would rather be a tree than a flower. Uh, and so, uh, but not just any tree. She calls him an apple tree. Remember how he said she was like a beautiful wild mare? Uh, what's a treat that most horses enjoy eating? Apples, yeah. I think that's not... Coincidence. I think she's picking up on his play on words, and she's dreaming about sitting in the shadow, tasting his fruit. Now his fruit could be his kisses or something else. So again, married couples, go home, dive into that, see what you think, and uh, enjoy your application time for that one. That's as deeper as we're going to go into that. <laughs> and now he, he's, she's going to talk about him bringing her into his banqueting house, or it's like the reception after the wedding ceremony. She's dreaming about you know, being married and having a party with all their friends, they're not married yet, but she's kind of dreaming about their wedding night. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. She says, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I'm sick with love. Now, every scholar I read during this study is unanimous in saying that raisins were considered an aphrodisiac. So look it up for yourself. Do your own homework. Figure that out. She says, his left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. She's dreaming about their wedding night, and things are starting to get a little hot and heavy in her mind. She's like, whoa, so what does she do? Very next verse. That's when she says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. We talked about last week that desire is not demonic, it's actually divine, but God gives us desire to be in the context of, of a covenant marriage and relationship. That there's always boundaries before the blessing. And God says desire is good, but it needs to be in this context of marriage so that, that we can be completely... Uh, uh, 
free with each other, that we know that we're committed wholly and exclusively to each other. So she's saying now to herself and her bridesmaids, she's like, whoa, be careful. Don't stir up passion and, and desire until the right time. She's courting. She's heading towards marriage. It's not quite the right time. She's having these kind of fantasies, and she's like telling herself and her closest friends, whoa, we need to be careful. Watch where your mind goes. Uh, don't stir up desire or passion. Don't awaken love until the right time. Next week, we're going to dive into uh, when is the right time to awaken love, and, and I'm ex- pumped about that. It's going to be a great week next week. But single people, God knows that our imaginations can often run far ahead of how, what our actual relationship may be able to bear. I know when you're dating, it's super tough because your mind goes to a place and you want to start thinking about being more and more intimate with that person. God knows that our minds can easily drift into fantasies like that. And it's not just guys that struggle with that. Girls do too. That's why romance novels are such a big business and also why those kind of things can be just as dangerous. Our leading lady, the star of our musical, she's a strong sex drive, and that's okay. Oftentimes the assumption is the husband is the one who just wants more sex, and it's always the wife who's uninterested, but sometimes that's not the case in some marriages. God wants you to know that desires and fantasies can be a good thing, but they need to happen in the context of a covenant marriage where there's complete safety, where there's, com- there's those boundaries there that we know we're complete uh, and free with each other. But we find out this is all a dream. She wakes up. But the reality is better than any dream of love. This might be my favorite part of the song, to be honest. She wakes up, and her beloved is there to her to propose to her. And this is, and again, it's poetry, so it's not like he gets on one knee and proposes to her, but we're going to read uh, as he expresses his love to her, and then next week will be the, the wedding and the wedding night. Uh, chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. She says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. He compares her to a dove, but what is he? Is he a roaring lion, a wild bear, an untamed tiger? No. He's not a powerful, dangerous animal, but rather he's a gazelle, a swift, handsome, cautious, strong, but not violent, easily excitable, and eager animal. I think it's a great description. She says, behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. All right, he's not a peeping Tom, okay? Let's just... He's like an eager beaver or a yearning young stag. He's nervous and he's looking for his bride-to-be. The time has come to ask her to marry him. She says, my beloved speaks and says to me. So now he's going to speak. He says, arise, my love. My beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time for singing has come. It's beautiful. In the Bible, the season of winter always meant a long season of waiting and preparation. But see, we can't have spring without winter. If right now, if you feel like you are in this season of winter, where everything feels dark and cold, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. That season is necessary for spring to come. There are seeds that have been planted by God that he's working on, that are eventually going to bring forth their color and beauty and promise when spring arrives. There's always a season of preparation, always precedes purpose. 
Preparation always precedes your purpose. There's always a season of winter where we are waiting, when it seems dark and cold, before the new life of spring comes. And I know there's some of you today that are in that season of winter. Maybe you've been married, now you're single again, and now you just feel like you're in a season of winter and you're waiting. Maybe there's something going on in your life and you just feel like you are in a season of winter. You are waiting and it just feels dark and cold, but I want you to know that those seeds are there. You may not see them. God is at work in the silence, in the dark, in the quiet. And those seeds are going to come up. Winter doesn't last forever. New life is going to happen. If your marriage feels like nothing is growing and there's no fruit, don't quit now. Spring is coming. Every marriage goes through seasons of winter, but spring is coming. For this couple, their season of waiting is almost over. The time for singing, the time for the wedding when everyone, all their friends are going to come together and they're going to sing and celebrate their, their new marriage, it's come. He says, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Her beloved appears and he wants to see his bride-to-be. He wants to talk to her. His words are tender and gentle. He knows she's like a dove, easily startled, easily put to flight at the slightest hint of a threat. He said, come out, my love, come out. This is his proposal, but it's not quite time for the wedding yet. It's almost here, but not quite yet. If you want to dive ahead, uh, next chapter, uh, chapter 3, she's actually going to have kind of this, this dream the night before the wedding where she seeks her future husband and he's not there. And what does she do? Then she wakes up and then it's time for the wedding. There's always this season of like a little anxiousness before uh, those, those big moments. What we're going to see though is what God tells us now is to pursue intimacy. You want to write that down. Pursue intimacy. Watch your words and pursue intimacy. And most people think that intimacy is just romance. But intimacy is transparency. It's a return to the garden when Adam and Eve were naked without shame. There was nothing between them. That is the way that God wants our relationships to be, to be intimate. There's no secrets between you. And the way to intimacy is communicating and, and sharing our thoughts. Why do we feel so close when we are dating? Well, if you grew up before, you know, texting was really big, like me, uh, we didn't text when I was dating, but we talked on the phone. When Chris and I were dating, we talked for hours and hours on the phone. And it was in that, that place when you were dating, you talk on the phone for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, you couldn't get enough of each other. And now, like Sunday afternoon, Chris wants to talk to me. I'm like, woman, I'm watching football. Just be quiet, right? <laughs> Anyone else there? No? Am I the only one? All right. That's what happens in marriage. Why is that? See, in marriage, it's easy to think that you're close because you share almost everything. You share a house and food, toothpaste, a bed, toilet. But if you're not sharing your feelings, you may be close in proximity, but not close in intimacy. You may just be living close by, but you're not close to your spouse. There's a big difference between being close by and close to. We need to pursue intimacy. It's not going to just happen by accident. And this is true for those who are dating too. Appropriate intimacy is different when you're married than when you're dating. When you're dating, purity paves the way to intimacy. Purity paves the way to intimacy. Here's something very fascinating that I learned uh, this week. Uh, that when you're dating, you can't grow emotionally 
and physically at the same time. That, uh, that in your relationship, when you're dating, that when you start getting more and more physical, it actually stops the emotional connection with that person. That You can't develop both those at the same time is what smarter um, scientists than me have figured out. And that when you start getting very physical, that actually sex stops conflict resolution. That if you are sleeping together before you're married in particular, that you stop learning how to resolve conflicts because that's just your way to resolve it. And instead of doing the hard work of developing true intimacy, of sharing your feelings and your thoughts, you just fall into the same pattern again and again. And so I would encourage you single people to pursue purity. That's going to pave the way to intimacy. To dial back your physical connection, uh, for those who are dating, so you can pursue that emotional intimacy so you can be close to each other. Uh, for those who are dating and married, what kills intimacy the most? Foxes. That's right, foxes, all right? <laughs> You're like, what? This is taking a couple weird turns. That's all right. We're going through poetry. That's why this is all good. Watch your words. Pursue intimacy. Catch the foxes. Um, if you're a little more hardcore, you can say kill the foxes, but we're going to say catch the foxes. All right. Verse 15. Uh, it, we're not sure actually who's speaking here. I think she is talking to him now. And she says to him, she says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Remember, what are vineyards? It's their bodies. They're in blossom. They're ready to go. They're ready to experience the intimacy of marriage and move in that direction. And she's like, whoa. First of all, we need to catch the foxes that, that can spoil our intimacy. See, there's this species of fox that lives in Israel, a little fox called the red fox. And they're a huge problem for farmers. See, they sneak under the fences in vineyards and dig up the roots of these grapevines. And so vineyards have to be watched very carefully because these red foxes, one at a time, can absolutely ruin an entire vineyard by digging up the roots. The roots. One fox at a time, they'll dig up the roots of these uh, plants. How often do we see little foxes ruining relationships? Small compromises that creep in one at a time, one after another, until all the roots are gone. What are the little foxes in your relationship? Maybe it's money debt, busyness, just family drama, communication, conflict resolution, pornography, Harsh or unkind words. We're going to talk about some of these little foxes just in a little bit. I think one of the foxes that we see again and again and again just hurting marriages is pornography. Most boys fall into the sin of pornography because their dads were snared by that same sin. Pornography is a really big deal. Twelve years of age is the average age that most boys encounter porn. And 40% of children ages 10 through 17, 40% have been exposed to porn online. Porn often goes hand in hand with video games, uh, just kind of that culture. Pornography literally changes your brain. That's what scientists have figured out. Um, one of the quotes I, I, I found was, the more pornography that men consumed, the smaller the brain striatum the reward center of the brain. That when you indulge in pornography, it literally changes your brain. Researchers have also found that girls who watch porn are less likely to intervene when seeing another woman threatened or assaulted and are slower to recognize when they're in danger themselves. 
something I read this week, is that we need to realize that real sex is never going to compete with fantasy sex. That when you fill your mind and heart with these images, your spouse is not an actor, and you don't get to be the scriptwriter for their desires and responses to you. So when you indulge in these things, the, real, the reality is never going to live up to it. Because your wife is not a paid actor. But this is a big deal. This is a fox that can hurt and destroy so many marriages. And it is both men and women who struggle with this. It's not just a guy's issue alone. We have many men who have come forward and come clean and said, man, I need help with this. And we have guys who are meeting with each other. They meet in the mornings and they share and they help hold each other accountable. I want to encourage you, if you would like help in this area, on your connection card, you can just write down every man's battle if you're a guy or write down every woman's battle. And uh, I'm the only one who sees the connection cards and then I pass on that information just, just so you know. So that uh, it's not like it goes to some secretary or a bunch of people. But I will follow up with you, and I'll connect you with someone uh, of the same gender and say, hey, this is someone in our congregation who has struggled with this and through God's grace and power has overcome it. And we want to love to connect you with someone too if you are struggling in this area. It is a fox that will destroy your relationship. Uh, some resources too is triplexchurch.com and fightthenewdrug.org are great uh, um, resources that you can go to as well. But what is the fox in your relationship? What is it that you've let creep in that is digging up the roots of your relationship and that you said, ah, it's not a big deal, but it actually has the power and potential to destroy your marriage? We need to watch our words. Your words have power. How are you speaking to your spouse? Are you speaking life and encouragement and hope into them? Or are you constantly degrading them and, and telling them they're not doing a good job? We need to watch our words. We need to watch our words as we speak life into our spouse, as they open up, as, as they feel special and secure and safe and sexy. We need to pursue intimacy. Intimacy is not just physical relationships, but it's being completely transparent with one another. There's no secrets between us. It's going back to the garden the way that God intended us, completely exposed and transparent to God, and exposed and transparent with our spouse. This week, how can you pursue intimacy with your spouse? How can you open up? Maybe there's some secrets that you've been kind of holding back and you need to share those. If you're single, if you're dating, I want to encourage you to pursue intimacy by embracing purity, that purity paves the way to intimacy. We're not saying that desire and sex, that's bad. It's a, it needs to be in the context of a covenant relationship. And so you're just saying patience and then passion. Patience and then passion. Keep that little uh, pilot, pilot light going, but don't let the flames burst into, into full flame so that you can continue growing emotionally in that connection. That you're not just falling back on, you know, we have a fight and, oh, let's make out and do this. Because we want you to be, have that intimate relationship. And number three, catch the foxes. What are those little things that have gotten into your life into your relationships that you've kind of downplayed, but can wreck and ruin things. Kill the foxes. Catch the foxes. Don't let them destroy your relationship with God. Don't let them destroy your relationship with your spouse. Don't let them destroy your life. They're big deals. 
What we want to do is we want to lay down our lives to love our spouses as Christ loved the church. Because we don't want what everyone else has. We don't want marriages like the rest of the world has. Therefore, we're going to do some things that others will not do. And then our marriages are going to be a testimony to the goodness of God as he has loved us as he, and sent his son, Jesus, to die for the church. And our marriages are going to represent that kind of unconditional love. But to get what the rest of the world doesn't have, to have these kind of marriages where there's no secrets, that we pursue intimacy, that we're, we're close to each other, that we're destroying the foxes, we have to do some things that the rest of the world doesn't do. We have to watch our words. We have to choose to pursue intimacy and kill the foxes. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite the band up as we pray and close this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you know relationships are a big deal, that communication is a big deal. God, that you know that all of us have a tendency to be lazy, to let, allow little things to creep into our life that can destroy, that can uh, dig up the roots of our relationship with you, uh, that can dig up our foundation on our relationship with our spouse, with others. So God, I pray that this morning, uh, God, that you would speak into our hearts and throughout this day and the week that you continue to reveal truth to us. God, that we would watch our words, that we would choose to speak life, not death, not shame, not guilt. God, that we would pursue intimacy with you, with our spouses. God, that we would not allow secrets uh, to come up between us. God, that we would emotionally connect um, especially maybe those who've been married for a while now, God, that we would uh, turn off the TV, that we would uh, set aside time away from the busyness of life to, uh, to pursue this intimacy with each other. And God, that you would give us the courage and the wisdom to know what are the little foxes in our life that have crept in, and God, that we need to kill, that we need to catch and destroy uh, so that they don't ruin our relationship with you, and with our spouse and with others. Thank you, God, for being with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.